listening to Planet Pod, the podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. I'm Amanda Carpenter. I'm Kat Portman-Smith. And together we are festival directors for Deeds and Words, a festival of women's voices. Kat, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, hasn't it? It certainly has. Generally, generally up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're almost at the end of the festival. We're kind of one and a half days in. And we've had a really interesting range of acts, haven't we? We've had everything from those big names that people mm-hmm. would know, so Lucy Worsley and Jenny Murray, who are kind of household names, through to women who've got slightly different voices and perspectives around the whole issue of suffrage, women's equality and women's rights. Any standout highlights for you over the programme that we've had? I mean, I must admit, it was uh, fantastic having Helen Pankhurst here in the first night, and especially to open the exhibition, uh, you know, with letters from her great-grandmother that had not been seen by the public, let alone by her before. That, that was a very special moment. Um, but then what I've enjoyed overall is... A kind of what I hope from a festival is having people around the building, hearing conversations in the foyer, you know, mm. off the back of the panel discussion, or just hearing people, and especially women's voices, talking about anything and everything, really. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's just those con- constant conversations that I've really enjoyed. Yeah. And it hasn't just been women. Obviously, we've not had a women-only audience, and we've had, you know, fair splashing of men at most mm-hmm. of the things but it was important to us wasn't it to get the, the women in the title because it is celebrating mm. that centenary of that limited suffrage in, in 1918 through representation of the People's Act so so there was a kind of framing to that so it wasn't just this is a feminist festival this was actually a celebration of, of a major political change political and social mm. change that happened in our history but I've been struck over the last couple of days by the number of women who've said Okay, great, but we still have so far to go. I mean, we had Francis Scott, who set up a 50-50 parliament campaign for balanced equality in parliament, you know, reminding us how few MPs there are in parliament. Um, We've still not got representation across Mm. large corporates and on boards and, you know, in many parts of public life. So I I get a real sense that while we've had those conversations in the foyer of women saying, you know, this is great, but, but... but goodness me, we've got a long way to go. Mm. We're really setting an agenda for ourselves and saying, actually, we've got to up the pace of change now. Absolutely. And something that really struck me from yesterday was Rosie Duffield saying that she feels that uh, she's in her mid-40s, so so the same age as myself, um, is that as a generation, we've taken our foot off the accelerator because there's an element that kind of, oh, yeah, we're doing okay, actually. Yeah, 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 this is good. We can do what we want, so that's fine. Um, And then actually realising, nah, nah, this isn't the case. So it's been exciting seeing younger people coming in and feeling that they're absolutely more on board and perhaps more politicised than than I was when I was younger. So that's been interesting as well, and I thought that really struck a chord with me. I'm here with Helen Pankhurst. Helen, it's just wonderful to see you. Thank you so much for coming. Your pleasure. Um, what kind of a year have you had? Busy? <laughs> um, very busy. I think in some ways um, makes me think of the suffragette campaign in terms of the fact that they used to go up and down the country visiting 
women and men of different backgrounds talking about the issues of suffrage, why it's so important. And here I am 100 years later, up and down the country, different types of organisations, women, men, different age groups, different backgrounds. Actually, my favourite setup is when you have cross-generational um, women coming and talking together um, and very much remembering the past, but also talking about the journey that we still have to make. Yeah, a lot of people have said to me, oh, "Great to celebrate a hundred years yeah. of suffrage and women getting away." But, but really, you know, job's done. We've, as someone said to me this morning, we've had two women prime ministers. What are you worrying about? Ha! Huh. <laughs> <laughs> My reaction too. I think. <laughs> so, what? It's two out of nineteen, something like that. Thirty-six um, percent of women in Parliament, twenty-six and twenty-nine in the House of Lords without counting about what those women feel when they enter the establishment. It's not just about being there, it's about the hierarchies of voice and who is listened to and the whole structures are so man-made in politics, let alone looking at all the other aspects of women's lives. And I think it's the Women's Equality Party that are always talking about the difference between social infrastructure, which is the type of issues that women are concerned about, and physical infrastructure, which is the type of issues that men think of first. And surely, but surely, we need a parliament that looks at both and looks at all aspects of people's lives and isn't just focused on one side of the argument, one side of reality. We need a collaborative, inclusive parliament that represents all of us, don't we? And, and, and in that, we have still got a long way to go. Uh, yeah, absolutely. On, in all ways. I mean, it's this. we're talking particularly about the vote and women's position in it, but this is about diversity in the round. It's about representation in the round. And we can't just say, well, let's just look at women and ignore all the complexities of what women, which women, who's at the table, is, is it the right table? There's so many questions really underpinning all of that. Are you hopeful for the future? Because, uh, because as a mother, you know, I've got two fairly um, active um, young women daughters who are very politically engaged and, and I think they feel quite confident that things are changing and they can make strides. I mean, are, are you hopeful? Um, can we, can we, you know, lie on a, rely on our younger generation to do this for us? or um, I think things are getting better and I have been so enthused and amazed by the younger generation of people that I am meeting and I think that there's been a distinct shift over the last three or four years and I don't know what it is, maybe it's the wider political um, situation and some of the fears that are so expressed now, you know, the the, the old dinosaurs returning globally and maybe it's a response to that or maybe it's all these strong women who have are now mothers and who are bringing up their children in different ways maybe it's fathers that are more aware of the gender issues maybe it's the literature out there that's also contributing to a vision of women's possibilities being different I don't exactly know what it is it's probably all of those but for whatever reason there is a distinct difference that I am feeling in the attitude of young people to the ideas of feminism to the ideas of equality, to understanding that this should be about anybody being able to aspire to anything and not boxing in with categories and saying, you do that and this is what you should aspire to. So yes, I am positive. And I also, I feel that we've got 10 years and this is my mantra. We've got 10 years, which takes us to 2028, which is the centenary of equal franchise. So I don't want to wait another 100 years, but I am willing to say, look, let's use the next 10 years and let's look at what we can do, every single one of us, because I feel passionately that this isn't about a law, an act, something that government does. This is about everybody taking responsibility for shifting the needle on a whole set of social norms that are continuously taking us back. And yes, we need legislative and all sorts of other structural changes, but it's also about individual responsibility for doing things. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here. Real pleasure. Thank you.
As part of Deeds and Words, I'm joined by Jennifer Nadel and Olivia Buckland, and they are going to be um, discussing uh, Jennifer's new-ish book, um, A Manifesto for Women Everywhere. Um, Jennifer, for people who don't know the book, just in essence, what made you write it and what is it about? It is really a blueprint for change. It's about how we as individuals can change ourselves so that we're living happier and more fulfilled lives, but also how we can change society so that it is a lot fairer between the genders, between the races, so that we start viewing everyone who shares this planet with us as essentially the same and stop the discrimination that's pervasive in our current political and global system. So it's really a political manifesto, isn't it, for, for taking change into all of the institutions? That we that we have, or is it wider than that? It goes beyond politics into 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 more social structures as well. Well, it is a political manifesto, but it does go far wider because I don't think you can bolt on political change to a socio-economic system that essentially isn't fair and is there to benefit one group of people to the detriment of others. And also, having campaigned for the last thirty years, I've stood for parliament twice. I've run a major political party's um, you know, campaign and public relations strategy. You know, what I know is that there are a lot of unhealed people who go into politics. I mean, just look at the person who's running the American. Um, the, the United States at the moment, you know, you can see a lot of emotional damage playing mm. out. And if we don't deal with our own emotional damage before trying to deal with the world's, we end up just carrying our baggage onto a bigger stage. Mm -hmm. So it's about going inside and developing resilience and making sure that our ego is parked so that when we go out to be useful, we won't just be using the world as a giant stage for ourselves. Our current political system, and particularly our parliament here in the UK, doesn't lend itself to that kind of behaviour pattern though, does it? It's adversarial, it's point scoring, it's a, it starts at two in the afternoon and goes on till midnight. It's not a healthy place. It's a really dysfunctional place. It sounds like a school schoolyard. It doesn't sound like the place where a whole nation's well-being should be governed. It's childish, it's negative, it's combative, and it doesn't work. You know, if we look at what it's done, it's created increasing division. What we really need is to create consensus. That's the most effective way of moving forward. But instead, we, we feed the divisions that exist naturally within humans and give them names and send them to war against each other. Liv, as a young person, tell me how you feel. I mean, are you optimistic about where we are or do you feel slightly despairing? I think at the moment it's quite, uh, it's changing. And I've noticed, you know, girls at university would go to marches and be talking about things and have to get boys to join in because, it, you know, if you sat in dining or whatever, and it'd be all the girls talking and the boys would avoid this gaggle of women coming around and there'd be a kind of distinction there in what they wanted to talk about in terms of, let's say, politics or jobs. Because it seems like, you know, guys maybe are quite ballsy, brash, or just go in to the workplace, apply for jobs, thinking they can get it, but girls are quite reserved. Um, I've noticed that, applying for jobs, they're kind of, oh no, should we do it? Are we good enough? Whereas any of our male friends just go and say, yep, yeah, I can do it. 
So we've got some balance to address, haven't we? We've got to give the boys permission to be more engaged in mm -hmm. some of these issues they might find difficult, maybe to get more in touch with their own sense of emotional intelligence, yeah. and also to empower and support our young women so they mm -hmm. feel more assertive Definitely. and so they can take on those institutions yeah. which do effectively need change. I'm recording a short interview with Kate Fox, who's here as part of the Deeds and Words Festival at Tunbridge School. And Kate is a poet, comedian and stand-up. Is that the right description for you, Kate? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I sometimes say stand-up poet, so I run it all together. Stand-up poet, yeah. absolutely. How, how wonderful. <laughs> what more could we have? You've had an interesting morning, I think. You've been with some boys and some lessons. How did it go? It went really well, I think. It's just, it is so nice to get students who maybe wouldn't usually be creatively writing to creatively write and then speak their own words. I just think it's one of the most liberating things that you can do and it's it's also just enjoyable actually. It was interesting. I, I'm not very in touch at the moment with what uh, 13 to 18 year old lads think about anything or have to say about anything so I feel slightly more connected now. Wonderful and we're at the Deeds and Words Festival which is obviously a weekend full of activities celebrating 100 years of women's voices. Do you think there are any, I mean, are poets naturally more in touch with their inner woman? Is it easier for poets, male poets, to express themselves in those kind of emotional ways than oh. female poets? Oh. Is, oh. I mean, you were just saying that it's hard, <laughs> it's hard for people to expose how they yeah. feel about themselves. Poets don't seem to have as much trouble um, putting down on paper oh. some of those innermost feelings. So yeah. do you think that's the nature of poetry or the nature of those males who write poetry? Or is it just, you know, people are people, regardless of gender? It's an interesting layered question. Where I live in the north of England, um, the male poets that I know who have grown up there have very definitely grown up in a culture that is not saying come on lads, you will, let's share our inner feelings. Um, it's in fact, let's talk about sport or anything in the world apart from our feelings. So it's just these softy southern poets who do this <laughs> stuff, is it? <laughs> well, just, again, it's more complicated, isn't it? Because actually, I, th I think uh, many of the women I know would be far more likely to say, oh, well, you just get on with it, don't you? We just get on with things rather than attempt to write about them or, or see that there's a value to um, sharing your feelings uh, in words. So That's really interesting. And there are parallels there, too, with the suffragettes, aren't there? Because, you know, that whole kind of, you know, don't let's talk about this anymore. Let's just get on with it. I mean, admittedly, they were getting on with it for political change. But but actually, sometimes actions are easier than words, aren't they? Indeed, yeah, absolutely. And, and then sometimes too much, though, because an action can be, well, it's unless you do a really nuanced action, uh, but it, it, an action is either or. You've done mm. a thing or you've not done a thing, where mm. with words you can say, oh, well, sort of, maybe this, maybe that. You can express ambivalence and ambiguity. Mm. Mm. And actually it does feel like at that moment in history, the suffragettes were saying, enough prevaricating, enough equivocating, this is just wrong. We will not stand for this anymore. Give us the vote. And I really admire that. 
I think you have a poem that you were prepared to share with us, Kate, which you felt was sort of kind of in the theme of what we're trying to do here at Decent Words and, and some of those messages about, you know, we've made progress, but perhaps not enough progress. And that, you know, a lot of this is about women feeling confident and standing up and making their voices heard. So I'm going to shut up and give you the floor. <laughs> it's called The Maths and it comes from me realising that actually, yeah, standing with placards is a political act, but so is counting. Number the women, the smaller the amount you see in what happens when we don't count. Count like a maths teacher, insane on algebra, count like Dracula in his coffin, count like an abacus, like Carol Vorderman, count like a mathematical boffin. It's maths that even I can do. Women equal one in two. So challenge the social long division, expect support, expect division. But in Parliament and company boards, TV and the radio, the rule and not the exception should be a 50-50 ratio. This is the way to count. Add up the women you see and hear, then factor in the ones you can't to ensure they don't disappear. I made my maths public and was accused of asking for a token, but an even bigger sum would be the cost of not having spoken. I am no Pythagoras. I'm more excited by cake than pie. But when equality fails to add up, I'm going to keep asking why. Kate, thank you. Pleasure. Wonderful. Well, my name is Catherine Thompson and I'm subject leader for history at Tunbridge Grammar School. And uh, this weekend our girls, students, were fortunate enough to be able to take part in this amazing event, Deeds and Words, to inspire them and to empower them to take these important messages forward. What kind of things have they been doing? They've been hosting people around the wonderful exhibits and the unique archives on display. They have been encouraging people to leave their own comments and have their own participation in the event and um, just enjoying the, the, the atmosphere and the dialogue that's going on around them. And it's obvious seeing them, as I have over the weekend, that they're really excited by it and really enthused and engaged. And, and, and you know, that gives one huge hope for the future, doesn't it? Absolutely, because they are, they are the, the trailblazers who are, who are going to take this forward. They, they've got big shoes to fill and they are, they are up for this. They want to do this. That's brilliant to hear. Tell me a little bit about the Wall of Words, because we've been capturing, haven't we, people's feelings about both their own experiences and what they'd want for their daughters particularly, but also sons. Mm. Um, have you have you got some that really stand out as yeah. ones that you'd like to share? Absolutely. I think this has been a, a wonderful initiative because it allows the audience to be part of the dialogue that's happening this weekend. And it's a, a wall which is filled with um, some really, really uh, rich feedback. And two that, um, that have caught my eye. One is from somebody writing that she that they were working in 1970 when Barbara Castle uh, brought an Equal Pay Act. And this person cannot believe that we're still talking about equal pay all these years later. And when you think about it, it's amazing that we are still yeah. having that same dialogue. And the second part of, of what people are contributing is what they want for their daughters, their daughter's stories to be. And several have actually written about their sons, rather interestingly. And this person has said, for my son to be open-minded, happy and recognise the importance of true equality. And that, to me, really epitomises what our, our hopes, aspirations are from this weekend. Yeah, we need this to be as important to our young men as it is to our young women. Absolutely, and this is, this is by no means the end of this conversation. This is a really important exclamation mark in this conversation. And we've now got to see about taking this further forward and not let it drop down the agenda. Yeah, more action needed. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Thank you. You're listening to Planet Pod, brought to you by Akil Management and the Planet Mark. 
do get in touch with us, you can tweet at planet underscore pod or visit the website theplanetpod.com where you can subscribe to the pod and download earlier episodes. One of the very inspiring speakers we've had with us this weekend for Deeds and Words um, has been Francis Scott, who, as listeners may know, is the founder of 5050 Parliament. Francis, we're 100 years in. Um, Nothing's changed much, has it really? Well, not really. In the last 100 years, 491 women have gained seats compared to 4,503 men in the same time frame. Uh, So we need to do more. At the last election, only 12 extra women were elected, and at that rate it'll take 50 years to get gender balance in Westminster, which is why we've launched our Ask Her to Stand campaign, to support, inspire and encourage women to come forward. Um, So we would like everyone out there to start looking for good women and encouraging them and inviting them to stand for Parliament. And if you invite them via our 5050 Parliament website, then we will help them take the next step uh, along the path to Parliament and introduce them to the right people in the parties. um, You've had some success, haven't you? Because one of the other panellists who was with us today is Rosie Duffield, and I think she was partly inspired to stand because of 50-50. Oh, yes. I mean, I I absolutely want to take credit for that. I met Rosie for a cup of coffee um, when I was giving a presentation at Canterbury University, um, and I met her at the station just before I got on the train to London. And she clearly was well informed about politics. And I said, oh, you should stand. And she raised all sorts of objections, you know, saying, well, they'll choose a man. And um, anyway, this constituency is, is the wrong party. And I said, well, you never know till you have a go. You really ought to stand. And she did and was elected in 2017 against all odds so she proves it can be done and she's now a major advocate for the 50-50 parliament campaign at Westminster so yes we've achieved results the Ask Her to Stand campaign works and the key is that we get women who sign up to stand this year over 200 women have signed up to stand via 50-50 and we are putting them on the path to parliament and monitoring their progress and making sure that eventually they will be uh, selected in winnable seats, which is the key to the key to this change that we want, and everybody agrees we want it. In fact, um, since we've been campaigning, the Conservative Party have copied our Ask Her to Stand campaign, and recently Brandon Lewis, the chair of the Conservative Party, has announced that they want 50-50 shortlists. So that's a step forward, and Jeremy Corbyn has always made it clear that he thinks Parliament should be 50-50 gender balanced. So they're all saying the right thing, but as your festival says, we need deeds and not words. So we need everybody to get behind this. We need everybody to look at our website. We need everybody to join 5050. It costs nothing to sign up to join. And then you will receive a 5050 voice once a month. Um, and you can be part of this important movement. Earlier in our festival, we had Helen Pankhurst with us, and she said, we have a decade. We have until 2028, which is the, the next um, centenary anniversary mm. of, of, of universal suffrage. So we really only have 10 years to get this, this sorted, and actually, let's be bold and go for five. So thank you, Francis, and I think the call to join 5050 is loud and clear. Highlight of the Deeds and Words Festival has been the local walk around Tunbridge, led by Pam Mills, local historian and suffragette expert. I think it's fair to say, isn't it, Pam, really? Um, 
Tell us a little bit about what people would have seen if they'd been on the walk with you. Okay, my uh, my research um, uncovered that Tunbridge was mainly uh, supporters of the suffragists. So we had a huge contingent of the National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies. Uh, it's, a, it's a big committee. We had 70 members, and during the Great Pilgrimage we had another 46 join up. So my walk walked the path of the pilgrimage down the high street. Now, you've just hit on a little bit of a um, sem- possibly controversial um, note there, haven't you? Because the suffragists and the suffragettes were very different, weren't Completely. They? Yeah, completely. We didn't have... Um, I, I have yet to find out uh, if we had any suffragettes uh, in Tunbridge at the time. There was a record of um, Olive Walton coming through Tunbridge in 1913 with her caravan, setting up in the high street and selling the suffragette magazine. Um, the library, unfortunately, was denied permission to display the suffragette, but did display the common cause on behalf of the NUWSS, which was very strong in Tunbridge. Okay. And the suffragists were campaigning for the same thing, but in a much more peaceful manner. Oh, yeah. The, the aim was completely the same. Uh, but if you look at how they got the vote, it was completely different. We were not, NUWSS was non-political, non-violent and just continually chipped away, chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. And um, because it was non-political, I think that was a really good basis because it um, brought women from all aspects of life together. Mm -hmm. Mel, you're head of history here at the school. Um, What's it been like having a um, women's festival in this all-male school? It's been absolutely fascinating. And one of the things that I found out today from Pam is how much um, the campaign for women's uh, rights and the vote uh, was supported by many men, uh, not just in Tunbridge, um, but specifically at Tunbridge School and how many masters uh, campaign for the women's vote as well. That's hugely encouraging. And here we are 100 years on and it's slightly depressing that we have to have a festival looking at women's <laughs> because we've still got a long, long way to go. Actually being welcomed into this male institution, I guess is an echo of what happened 100 years ago then. Yes, it seems that that was very much the case. Um, and Pam, there were some particular names that were associated with um, the campaign. Well, absolutely. Um, and, you know, many of the, the, the boys today will have seen portraits of these men, in particular one uh, Reverend master, Rowe. Reverend Rowe. Uh, while they were um, sort of walking around the school and to be able to point out to the boys, you know, this this man is one of the people that supported the campaign and, and it's down to people like him as well as all the women that campaigned. And also um, Mr Lowry. Right. And Mr Lowry, as well. of course. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah, it's fantastic and for the boys, isn't it? Because actually we've got to re-engage both our young men and yes, our young women yes. in this debate, haven't we, in order to actually make the changes that we need made because we're still struggling with a, an unequal representation in Parliament and an unequal society in yeah, terms and if of balance. We want, and if we want to change that, then we have to work in partnership with each other. Um, and that's, that's a really powerful message. Great. Thank you both for your time today. Fabulous. I'm delighted to be joined by James Prari, who is the new headmaster at Tunbridge School. And Tunbridge, as you know, have been playing host to the Deeds and Words Festival. James, this is very brave of a school like this to host an all-women's festival. It is, it is brave, and it's been, a, it's been a happy surprise, actually, because obviously Tunbridge, has a, has, as a school, has a great tradition uh, of educating boys for getting on for 500 years. Uh, and it's interesting, I think people still ask the question about you know, why boys' schools and why single-sex education... Um, in the 21st century. So it's been really interesting, a kind of really good answer to that has been to see, we'll just look at the variety of voices that are 
hosted and encouraged and celebrated here actually in Tunbridge uh, with a festival celebrating women's voices taking place in the theatre that's part of a, of a boys' school. And I think that, in a way, is not a bad answer. Yeah, and there have been quite a lot of strong messages from the speakers um, over the weekend about how actually this isn't a women's issue. This is a, 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 an issue for all of us in society, and it's not just for young women, it's very much for young men. And Is that something that you sense when you're talking to the young men in the school, that they're aware that, that, that there's an inequality and they have a responsibility for doing something about it too? Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think young people generally are very aware of, of concerns about social justice, uh, and about the um, the discrepancies that can arise from from all kinds of kind of for all kinds of reasons, not least for because of I suppose of distribution of wealth, as well as kind of education, um, but also kind of the stereotypes that arise because of of, of class, gender, um, and of course this is this is a, a generation too who are just well perhaps not necessarily just simply a generation, but it's certainly a time in which there is a, a, a much greater sense of fluidity of identity, uh, which is in a way is is a, is a positive. And the you know social media internet have contributed to that uh, greater a- awareness and diversity of, of how we define ourselves, and yet that can also be troubling, unsettling, and challenging. Um, and uh, you know everyone in a in a sense wants to. I say everyone. I, I suppose that there's a natural human desire to want to try and fit in, to want to belong, and 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 I suppose kind of squaring that with also wanting to be yourself is is an interesting tension, and it's a tension when you're growing up. I think. And sometimes those things may not necessarily be the same. Um, and I think that is a challenge for young men as much as it's a challenge for young women. But there's no doubt the listening to the questions that have been asked, actually, I think, and listening to the themes of the speakers that we've had over this weekend, it is apparent that those issues still remain pertinent, particularly for women as well. So um, I think it's been a healthy reminder about that. You know, the battle of the suffragettes, in a, to some extent, goes on. Um, but it's been good, certainly, not to feel that I'm the only male in, member of the audience and that I'm sure there's some really good messages for the boys here to be reflecting on too, uh, given the opportunities and roles they, they may hopefully have in the future. Yes, I absolutely agree. Thank you so much and thank you for your hosting of the event. Oh, it's been brilliant, thank you. You've been listening to Planet Pod, the podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. Join us again next time.